0: Howdy, friends, and welcome to episode 12 of Run with Sam and Dave as we make our way through the book of 1 Samuel. We're in chapter 2, and last time we stopped at verse 21, and we pointed out that there is a contrast being made here between um, the sons of Eli and Samuel, that God is raising up this good priest to take the place of those Who were wicked. And so we read a little bit about Eli's sons, and we're going to read more about them now. But you're going to see again as we go that there is a little back and forth now and then to remind us, I think, of this contrast that's being made between uh, Samuel, who is going to be taking over for Eli, and the sons of Eli, who were, I think, expected by everyone um, to be the ones who would take over for Eli. So let's read it and see what happens. Uh, Verse 22, it says, Now when Eli was very old, he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another... God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. All right. So there's a whole lot there, but let's just go back and look at it real quick. So we hear Eli, Eli's old. So we know that. So he's getting to the end, toward the end of his life. And we will read in the next chapter about uh, how Eli dies. But Eli hears about everything his sons are doing. He hears about their wickedness. He hears about the things um, that they've done that we've read about previously and things that we hadn't read, read about previously uh, in verse 22. And the question is then, how does he respond? It says, so he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. So he says, I heard about what you're doing. I heard about how you're treating the people and how you're, how you're dealing with the people. And he says, no, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. So, okay, again, this isn't good. What I'm hearing is not good. You make the Lord's people transgress. All right, so he says, look, you, look what you're doing is, is bad. It's not just that you're doing something that's hurting you. You are causing spiritual damage to the people. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? So he's, he's pointing out like, look, if these people were just doing wicked things to each other, that'd be one thing. But you're causing them to turn from the Lord. What you're doing is, is worse. It says, and then nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. So this is interesting. And, and a lot of people will say, well, wait a minute, God, God desired to kill them. Yeah, God, God's going to make an example of them. That's, that's what he's going to do. Now, here's the thing. Was it God, did God desire to kill them from the very beginning? Was that his desire? This is tricky because then we start putting into these ideas of God being bound by time and God's, you know, the free choice of man versus the sovereignty of God, which is a mystery. Um, I believe that the Bible teaches that there are both of those things. But there is that point where we have demanded our way, where we have indulged in evil to the point where we are. Um, beyond that place of repentance. Now, do you know where that point is? No, I don't think we know where that point is, but I don't want to try to find it. You know, if there's that place where I have gone too far and I've hardened my heart to the point where I've said no to God and God says, okay, you've said no to me enough. I'm not going to try to get you to change. I'm just going to let you have your way. And that's a frightening thing, God letting you have your way. I've kind of learned that in my life, that uh, my way is usually not the right way. And so um, the only time my way is the right way is when I say, God, I want my way to be your way. So anyway, they don't heed the voice of their father. So what's the mistake being made by Eli here? Eli didn't, doesn't do anything. Right? He 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 says stuff. Sons, this is wicked. Don't do this. But he doesn't do anything about it. And this is, you know, this is one of those great problems that often happens in uh, in leadership areas in the church. And we read in the New Testament warnings about this. In 1 Timothy 5, uh, verse uh, 20. It says, speaking of, you know, the elder uh, who is, who is sinning, he says, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may fear. See, as a teacher, we're held to a higher standard as a, as a leader, you're held to a higher standard. There's an expectation of leading by example. And one of the unfortunate things that often happens within the churches, there's the idea of a love, love covers a multitude of sins, which is true, right? The Bible says that love Covers a multitude of sins, but when it comes to leadership in the church, if there's a an unrepentant leader, a leader that's caught up in some sort of s- sinful behavior, well, it says, rebuke them in the presence of all that they may fear. Far too often, what happens is it, it's covered up, it's it's pushed aside because they're trying to spare the reputation of the leader. But oftentimes, what happens is that dangerous men are left in a position to take advantage of people. They're in a position of trust. They're in a position of authority. And their sins are covered up. It's a dangerous thing. And this is what, you know, what goes on with with Eli, is he says to his sons, you know, no sons, you know, I hear these things, don't do these things. Don't practice this wickedness. And yet he doesn't rebuke them in the presence of, the congregation, he doesn't remove them from their position. I mean, this is one of the problems that's happened uh, with uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church, with all the um, the abuse scandals, where priests were abusing people and then the word came out that they were uh, abusing children or having inappropriate relationships with, with women in the church or whatever. And rather than removing them, they just moved them. They just moved them to a new spot so they could continue their behavior. And, you know, that's what happens with Samuel's sons is that they're not removed from their job. He just tells them, don't do this. This is bad. But they don't listen. But in verse 26, there's a, contrast it says this and the child samuel grew in stature and in favor with both the lord and men i love that that there's that phrase in there that we hear that same phrase said about jesus that he grew in favor with both the lord and men now when we hit 27 we're going to see a new character appear we don't know who this is he's just referred to as a man of god and so a word comes to Eli about the future, his family's future and his family's, um, his future and his, the future for his sons. And so we're going to look at that. And I think that we're going to see here, there's this combination of the back and forth of the comparisons between Eli's sons and Samuel, and then this final prophecy about the fate of Eli's sons and his line and the faithful son. And it's a little tricky because I think the faithful son is a combination of a picture of Samuel who's to come and a greater picture of Christ, the real, true, faithful son. But we'll talk about that next time. God bless you. Talk to you soon.